I, I've asked Chelsea to speak to us today. Now, Chelsea uh, was raised in this church. Uh, she's grown up in this church, and now she's living in Wichita, Kansas. God forbid that God-forsaken place. <laughs> I'm teasing. It's actually a beautiful place, and she's got a great pastor and a great church there, and we're thankful for that. But Chelsea has uh, just finished um, her doctorate in psychology. She actually finished her dissertation a few weeks ago, about a month or so ago, and she'll graduate in December from Wheaton College in Chicago, and so we're, we're proud of her for that. Amen. But regardless of what the university says about her, I've known she was smart for a long time. Amen. I give her a certificate and, and uh, put my stamp on it. And uh, more than anything, I'm thankful for Chelsea's walk with the Lord, her love for Jesus, and her love for people. You'll never meet anybody that loves people more than Chelsea Jean does. And I love her for that. And uh, she, she comes with a wealth of knowledge, not just from uh, her schooling and her work as a student, but she's been counseling uh, young folks, uh, children and teens, for a number of years in a, a facility in, in Wichita, Kansas, where she's employed. And I know as parents, we kind of want to know what makes kids tick and what we can do to help our children in a better way. So it's good to have somebody, even from a spiritual and clinical side, to come and say, here's how you can help your children, or here's what your children may be dealing with. And so this is the reason I've asked Chelsea to come speak to us today. Of course, it's family day, and I wanted her here for the pictures, too. So isn't God good? <laughs> hey, would you welcome Chelsea as she comes today to speak to you? She's home. We want her to make herself at home today. Praise the Lord. It is good to be home this morning. I read something not too long ago that said, where we love is home, and that's a home that our feet may leave, but not our hearts. And I would say that that's true um, of this church. I'm so glad to be home. I appreciate so much every person that's in this church um, and appreciate what has been put into me um, from spending the majority of my life here. They always laugh at me at Wichita because I'll say, well, I'm going home. And they're like, well, that's not home. This is home. And I don't argue, but we know the truth. I'm really glad today to have Kayla with me. This is, yes, let's give her a hand. Um, this is one of my friends from Wichita. She's actually, we're both transplants. She came in from Louisiana about a year and a half ago, and she's one of those people, as soon as you meet her, you think you've known her all her life. So I'm really glad to be sharing this trip with her. Um, I give honor to my dad and my mom and my sister. Without those three and Jesus, I definitely would not have made it through and be where I am today. But I do want to speak to you today. I feel like the Lord's just laid some things on my heart. Um, definitely from a clinical perspective, I can't really get away from that. I've been doing that for a long time now, it seems like. Some days it feels like I've been in there longer than others. And some days it feels like I'm just getting started all over again. Um, but I believe and I approach my job that in a way that the Bible has given us eternal truths. And those truths tell us how to live life. It doesn't just tell us how to get to heaven, but it also tells us how to live life in a way 
that we can be successful, we can have successful relationships, and that we can have growth. There's so much in this. If you see the patterns of this world, it's definitely patterns of destruction. And that's in relationships, that's in people, that's in finances, it's in a lot of different things. And I believe that the Word of God gives us the antidote to that. I do want to kind of say before I get started, the irony of speaking to parents is not lost on me. I'm standing up here, I have no children aside from my cat that I've been raising for almost 13 years. My mom notes resentfully, well mom raised her for about seven and then I just took over. Um, but, I, yep, she gave me a good foundation to start. So, but I have been in prayer for this service, and I believe the Lord has laid some things on my heart. So I want to start today by going into Genesis 18 and 19. Um, this verse, it's whenever the Lord is talking to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, okay, how can I hide what I'm about to do from my friend. And then in the middle of that, in verse 19, he says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Let me put that down just a little bit. I am trying to figure this out. He will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And so when the Lord is talking here, he's not just referring to his friend Abraham. He also says, okay, I know that he's going to command his children and the people that come after him, these generations, in a certain way. He's going to act in a certain way. And so because of that, I cannot hide what I'm about to do from my friend. So this tells me two things. Number one, it's important for us to have a relationship with God, to be known by God. But the second thing is, is God is very, very invested in how we raise our children and how we raise our families. Even if you don't have children, if, you're, if it's just in, like, okay, it's my parents, it's just me, it's me and my husband, whoever, it's me and some adopted people together, God is so concerned with how we raise our families. So the first thing that I want to talk about is love. And I, when dad asked me to speak, he said, you know, just talk about some things that kids struggle with. Well, we could have, you know, a three-hour sermon on what kids struggle with um, and still have a whole lot of time to go. What I've noticed a lot in the work that I do is a lot of times these kids are struggling with the similar things or very different things. And what makes them struggle well or struggle poorly is a lot of times not actually what they're struggling with. It's the family and the community around them and their response to them. And okay, how do we help them through this? Are we, you know, demonizing them and saying, okay, well, you shouldn't be going through this. You shouldn't be doing this. I'm not listening to you. I'm not having time for what you're going through. Or am I approaching them with support? So on these patterns that I've seen, I came up with three things that are very important for us to help each other because we're a family of God, we're a body of believers, so whether or not you have any biological family sitting in this room today, everyone that sits in here is your family because we are the family of God. So based on that, whether we're talking about our biological family or whether we're talking about the family of God, there are principles that can help us to interact well with one another and to support one another. And the first thing is love. This is, you know what, we're going to we're going to call an 
uh, Audible, and I'm going to go to the handheld. God bless it. I am not the greatest with technology. Thank you, Rob, for being instant in season and out of season. <laughs> so the first question is love. How do we love and what is our model? The first verse I want to go to is John 13, verses 34 and 35. And Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this, all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So this love is incredibly important. A lot of times we think, okay, well, they're gonna, they'll know that we're Christians by how many devils we cast out, or that we speak in tongues, or that I pay my tithes, or that I dress differently, I look differently. And Jesus says, no, the way that you're going to mark yourselves and be distinct is by the depth of love that you have for one another. And not just the body of believers, but for everyone. We have got to, got to get this right. And so whenever I start to look at love, I say, okay, what, what kind of love is this? And the reality is, is that none of our loves are going to be unconditional. We don't love that way naturally. We just don't. Um, any of you that have children know, and I don't have kids, but sometimes I feel like I do because they're in, I'm with kids at least four or five hours out of the day because they're in my office. And if I'm doing things and giving them things that they like, they love to be in therapy. They're like, okay, this is great. We get to play games. I get prizes. I get this. I get that. But as soon as I do something, it's like, you know what? Today we're not going to play a game. Or today we're doing something else. Or no, you don't get that because you, your behavior doesn't um, add up to that reward. Oh, it's a different story. It's a totally different story. I got tickled. This week, I was working, well, I guess it was last week now, I was working with a little boy and um, has some impulse control problems and different things. So we were talking about controlling our wiggles and controlling our wiggly fingers. And we were trying to put a game together, and he kept, like, hitting pieces of the game. So it, would, it was the game Mousetrap, and so it would just go. And finally, I was starting to get frustrated, and I was like, okay, we have got, you've got to control your wiggles. And so we had talked about some things to do, and I said, okay, if you do this one more time, we're putting the game up. And he did really good. He was hold, like held it all the way through and we got the last piece put on and he got real excited and went, ah! and it went down. And I had this moment of a moral crisis that I was like, okay, we have this whole thing built and, you know, it's not that big of a deal. We can just pull it back and set it back up. And then I thought, I told him, if you do it one more time, this is what's going to happen. And I was like, great. So I said, well, it's going up. The game's going up. He was not happy about this at all. And we'll get into this a little bit later with consistency. But there's a difference between a relationship and behaviors. If we love our kids or we love people only whenever they do what we tell them to do or when they're well behaved or when they're, you know, loving on us and being just the most darling thing since Jesus, baby Jesus was in the manger. Anybody can love that kind of kid. But if our love is conditional, we're going to teach our kids, okay, there is a point that you reach that you will not have my love and my support anymore. 
that it's based on behavior. This kind of love that we talk about, it has to be unconditional. And the way that we get that is because we've received that unconditional love from God. If we don't have an understanding of what that love is, I can't give out love in the way that I've been loved. Because if I know, okay, Jesus died on the cross for me, hallelujah. But if I come to God with this understanding that, okay, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and because I'm doing everything that I am supposed to do. But as soon as Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and I'm struggling, he's not going to love me anymore. If I have that mindset then there is going to be a time whenever my children or other people do things to me and I say, okay, well, God's love is not really unconditional. And so my love doesn't have to be unconditional. This person has crossed too many lines. They've hurt me too many times. They've done too many things to me and I can't forgive them. I can't be in that relationship with them. And that's going, it's going to happen. Yes, it will. Because we're all, we are all flawed. There's going to be people that hurt us in ways that it's like, you know what? If I'm dealing with my own love, I'm not going to be able to come back from this. But I don't give out of love from my own self. I give out of the love that I've received from my father. One thing that I always talk about with parents is fear is the quickest motivator, but love is the strongest motivator. People will do something for someone they fear so fast. It you know, if somebody holds a gun to your hand and says, give me your wallet, I don't even have, I'll just give them my whole purse. It doesn't matter. I'm like, here, just take it. I don't even know where my wallet is, but you can have all my gum wrappers and everything else in the purse. I don't need it that bad. But people will do things, will go above and beyond for people that they love long after that fear is gone. So if we're working in our families of, okay, well, if you don't do this, or if I'm going to do this, or, well, if you do that, then I'll do this. And we're kind of using that bartering. And I know sometimes we do, and that's fine. But if you're motivating primarily out of fear, there's going to come a point, whether it's your kids get bigger than you, they get smarter than you, who knows? There's a lot of five-year-olds that come in. I'm like, man, they make me look like an idiot. It's like, there's, I've been in school for a long time, and there's a six-year-old that's running circles around me. Good grief. I've got to redo this. But fear will motivate them very, very quickly. But if you can develop a relationship with your children, with people, that is going to motivate long after fear will stop motivating them. There were things that growing up um, I would do for my mom or my dad, not because I was afraid of them, but because I loved them. It was things I didn't have to do. I mean, probably my mom would tell you she wished I would have cleaned my room a little more and shown love in that way. But there were things that I would do because I loved them and they had developed and poured into that relationship. And it was like, okay, well, I know I'm not going to get in trouble if I don't do this, but I might as well go ahead and do it because it's going to make them happy. Because whenever we have that kind of love and we've developed that kind of love, it motivates us to go above and beyond. So if nothing else, we have got to get this right. And I can't speak on love without going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So it doesn't matter if, you know, I can prophesy every service, I can go on, you know, 
radio show, TV show, whatever, and make a whole lot of money from all the prophecies that the Lord gives me. I can go to school for years and decades and get all of this knowledge. I can have the biggest faith and see miracles, signs, and wonders. And if I don't have my heart right, if I don't have this figured out, it's nothing. It's meaningless. And though I give all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And then it goes in in verse 4 to talk about how do we know what love is. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Verse 7 says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And then in verse 13, it says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. If you lose love, you lose the biggest bargaining chip that you have. There have been times that I see um, families that come in and different things that because of a kid's behavior that is out of control or whatever is going on, parents will respond in a way that they sacrifice a relationship in order to get this behavior under control. And that is one thing we can never, never do because if I sacrifice a relationship, I lose any kind of motivator. Even if they don't show it, kids know, teenagers know, we've all been teenagers or had teenagers and God bless you, we're gonna pray for you if you do right now because it changes, it's new every morning. That's why God's mercies are new every morning because you don't know what kind of teenager you're waking up with. But if they learn, okay, if I, when I'm bad, my mom will either just, you know, check out or whatever, or she'll actually pay attention to me because they're like, hey, get out of that. Don't do this. Don't do this. Why are you doing this? Even though they're not giving me good attention, I'm at least getting some kind of attention versus, okay, well, whenever I behave, either, okay, they love me or they just don't notice it. It's like, oh, thank God they're finally behaving. They're finally doing what they're supposed to do. We can just have some peace. And they don't acknowledge that. A lot of times what happens is we see these other behaviors increase. And there's been times where I've heard parents say, well, okay, well, I'm going to do this because hopefully that will get them to realize how they're acting and what they're doing to me. And a lot of times the this that they're going to do is, well, I'm not going to spend time with them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm, or I'm going to give them some information that they don't know that's going to be really hurtful to try to get them to see, I didn't have to be doing this all my life. I didn't have to be raising them. I didn't have to be doing all this stuff for them. And maybe they'll finally get it. And whenever I hear that, it does two things. One, it makes me angry sometimes. And two, it breaks my heart because I'm, okay, you're, you're sacrificing a relationship for convenience. You want this behavior to stop. So what I'm going to do is take this child that the Lord has put into my hands. And I'm going to say, you know, it's not really about your well-being anymore. It's about my well-being. And if you're inconveniencing me or you're making me look bad or I'm at the end of my rope with you and I don't know what to do. And we get there sometimes. I Believe me, I understand that. 
people don't come into my office because everything's going really good. But okay, I, so because I'm in this position where I feel desperate, all of a sudden, this child, this life, this soul that the Lord has placed into my hands, I'm going to put you to the side and put my own needs up and say, okay, I can't handle this anymore. Well, that child learns, okay, there's going to be some point that my parents or whoever is in charge of me or whoever the Lord has placed over me is going to stop loving me. And they don't care. There's a point where they are not going to care about me. Love is always based on a position or a relationship. It's never based on behavior. In Romans chapter 5, we see this where in verse 6 it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while I was still a mess, while I still didn't have my act together, while I still had all these behaviors, it didn't matter because he showed his love to me. It didn't matter about my behaviors. It didn't matter about what I had done or what I was born into or the things that he knew I was going to do in the future. He said, no, I love you. And I'm going to show you that. And this kind of love is difficult to show. We hear about this, but then putting it into practice and loving the way that he does, it's incredibly difficult. That's a lifetime pursuit. But love is always based on a position. I don't love you because you're doing everything right. I love you because you're my child. I love you because you're my brother or you're my sister in Christ. So even if you've just rung me through the dirt, I may not be happy about it. We may have to work through some things and we may have to put up some different boundaries because these behaviors need to stop. But I'm still going to love you because that's the kind of love that I've been given and that I've received. This love is also consistent and it sets standards. And I'll get into this a little bit later. But love is never about what the other person does. It's always about what I choose. Someone can, you know, treat people horribly, do different things, and they, we can still choose to love that person. That love is never based on what someone else does to me. It's on, okay, if I'm going to make a choice... And when it comes to our families, our children, that has to be a choice that models the choice of Jesus Christ. That said, okay, even though I know all of these things are going to happen, yet I'm still going to go to the cross. I'm still going to die for them because I love them. Not because I'm getting anything out of it, but because I love them, I'm going to do this. And whenever he said, it's that kind of love that motivates this man who is dying to say, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. He could have rained down curses on them because of their behavior. And he still said, okay, forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. Don't hold this to their charge. That's the kind of love that we have got to, got to get. Love is always a decision and it's never a feeling. I shouldn't say it's never a feeling. Falling in love is a feeling. And you can fall in love multiple times in your life. You can fall in love. I'm sure whenever you see, you know, that little baby for the first time, your heart just melts. And then when that little baby grows up into the terrible twos and is, you know, throwing things all around, it's like, dear God, what happened to this kid? You are not like this. 
And then they get into teenage years, and it's like, well, you don't have to tell, I don't have to listen to you because I'm bigger than you. I'm smarter than you. You don't know what you're thinking. It's like, dear God, where is that, that little one that I fell in love with that just thought I, you know, hung the moon and the stars? Where are they? But love is not just a feeling. There are times that I love people that I'm like, dear God, you're driving me crazy. But I'm still going to choose to love you because if I am just motivated by feeling, I'm not going to sustain any kind of consistent relationship, whether it's parenting, a friendship, a marriage. If my motivation is, okay, well, I have to feel good. I have to feel happy. I have to feel this way because that's what God would want for me. Well, I don't find anywhere where it says God gave us, you have a right to be happy. He says we have a right to be holy and to come before the throne of God. And sometimes that means making decisions that don't feel good because I've got to gut it out. Like, okay, I don't feel like, you know, taking this kid who's just, you know, taking scissors to all their clothes or whatever. And they're like, look, I, now I get all new clothes because I have just cut up mine. I don't feel like taking them in my arms and saying, okay, you're grounded for eternity, but I love you. I still love you. Even though it doesn't feel like that, I'm going to do that because I'm making a conscious choice to love this person and this soul that God has given into my care. Love also means wading through hurts and forgiving. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. A lot of times whenever I'll see kids or teenagers or even adults in my office, because a lot of times I had a professor who talked about the legacy of unresolved losses. A lot of times I'll see adults in my office that emotionally look like a child. And that's not in a judgmental way, but they're still dealing with hurts and messages that they received or they didn't get a validation or an affirmation from when they were a child. And that doesn't go away a lot of times unless we have supportive people who come into our lives. Unless there's an intervention, I'm going to continue down this path of brokenness. And so whenever I'll talk to adults, it'll be, you know, it's these struggles. And a lot of times I'll see a difference between people that said, well, these things happened And it may be similar stories, either trauma or things that they had done or things that were done to them that were incredibly impactful and incredibly hurtful. And they'll say, but, you know, my parents, they didn't just kick me out. They didn't just do this. They didn't just do that. They really, I knew they loved me. I knew that they supported me. And whenever I hear this, I always think about this verse that love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't excuse a multitude of sins. It doesn't take away the consequences of sin, but it does cover that and say, you know what? Come here. It's okay. Come here. We're going to get through this. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to help get you through this. And then if we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And that's a tall order. Because a lot of times, I want to be forgiven. I think we can all say amen to that. We all want to be forgiven. But there's some times that I don't want to forgive or I don't want to forbear with someone else. Okay, this is too much for me. I thought I had this, you know, come to my mind, not necessarily with forgiveness, but when it talks about forbearing or supporting one another. I had this come to my mind in a real way. I was sitting um, in a therapy session, and I've worked with a client for quite a while now. 
um, on just different traumas and different things that she's experienced. And I won't go into all of that, but just in a nutshell, she's been through some terrible, terrible things in her life, and it's gone on for years. And so we were talking about different ways to deal with flashbacks and, and these episodes that were, are getting increasingly worse and different things like that. And she came into my office, and she had a notebook. And it was, it was probably about maybe this size or half this size. And she said, I brought something for you for you know, us to talk about in therapy. I said, okay, well, that sounds good. What would you bring? And she said, well, I brought, this is my story of everything that's happened to me. This is what I go through whenever I have a flashback. And, and I, I think you need to understand. And instantly, I am like, there is no way. If I wouldn't have gotten fired, I think I would have run out of my office because I sat, I looked at these papers in my hand and I'm holding them and I'm sitting there praying, which I do frequently during session. And I'm like, Lord, I can't, mm-mm. I do not have the strength to wade through all of this. There's no way. There is no way I can make it through this. And I, and she's talking, you know, she's just keeps talking about what's going on and the struggles that she's facing. And I'm sitting there going, uh, uh, mm, 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 I am not about to read through that stuff. There is no way I am not going to be able to handle this. And all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and said, yeah, you can't handle it, but I can. And there's sometimes that when people are going through things, we don't have the strength to sit with them through that. But it's not about my strength, it's about his strength. And this is what I'm commanded to do. And in that moment I said, okay, God, you're gonna have to help me sit with this woman and listen to her because through the rest of her life, people have said, okay, don't talk about this. We can't handle this. This is too much for us. And if this is where I'm forbearing or I'm supporting someone, then okay, you're going to have to give me the strength to do it because I can't in my own self. And this is what we're commanded to do is to forgive like Christ and to love like Christ. And it's difficult whenever we have hurts and things that have been done to us, not necessarily things that we've done. Sometimes it's things that we've done to other people. We have trouble forgiving ourselves. But when things have been done to us, it's like, okay, well, Lord, I want your forgiveness, but I don't, don't tell me that I have to forgive that person because that's, that's not warm and fuzzy. That doesn't, that doesn't help me. That means I have to unclench my fist and give up some things and say, okay, fine, I'll forgive them. Even though I have a list of grievances that I could put to their charge, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let it go. That's not warm and fuzzy. That doesn't feel good. At some points, it's going to feel good. But at that moment, it's not going to feel very good because I'm going to have to let go of my right to justice. Okay, there's been an injustice, and it has to be righted. Okay, well, if that's the case, then that means every injustice that I've done has to be righted as well. And that kind of attitude, it not only impacts my relationship with other people, but it also impacts my relationship with God. Because if I won't forgive other people, then I'm not going to expect forgiveness from my father. I'm going to say, okay, well, because there's a point where you cross a line that you don't deserve forgiveness anymore, there's got to be that line for me too, where God's going to give up on me and he's not going to forgive me. And so love means wading through this and forgiving and knowing that I have a pattern to look to. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans 8, verse 35. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For it's written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long and we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, I've seen some things and this has caused me to notice something, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things in the present, nor things in the future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. I've got to receive that so deep into my heart that when it comes time for me to give love, that that's the kind of love that I give that says it doesn't matter what you do because I'm still going to love you with his love. I don't have that kind of love, but I got it from him so I can give that to you. This applies to individuals and families and the church. In Ephesians 4, it talks, which I'll go into a little bit later, it says basically we're one body. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who's above all and through all and in all y'all, as we say. In all of you. This extends to everybody. It extends to individuals. Okay, I've got, we're one body, so we got to work this thing out. We got to love each other. We've got to forgive each other. It extends to families. Okay, even if I am, even if my husband, my kid, whoever was in the wrong, we still, we've got to work this thing out because we're a family. That's what we do. And it extends to this body of believers as well. Whether it's an individual, it's a pastor, it's an organization. Okay, we've got to work this out because we're a family. We can't have this squabbling and going back and forth and holding on to things and saying, okay, well, you know, we'll go to the same altar, but I'm not going to speak to them because, you know, five years ago or six months ago or 10 years ago, they did this to me. And I, I, so, you know, Jesus can forgive them, but I'm always going to keep that in the back of my mind, even when they're up speaking. Okay. But remember when this and that, and we got to remember, it says love keeps no record of wrongs. We've got to work this thing out because we're a family and love means putting my emotions and my reactions underneath my concern for the other person. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But this we know but this we know, by this, sorry, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Not our brothers that have done us right, not our brothers that are our favorites, not our best friends, anyone. We said we're one body, we're one family. We need to lay down our lives for each other. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed or in truth, and in truth. So if I'm saying, okay, I love you, but then whenever you do something wrong, I am... I'm not loving indeed. I'm saying I love you, but there's some point that it's like, okay, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm still going to put myself first. There's sometimes that it's like, okay, I could blow up on this person and I may have every right to do so, 
but I'm not going to because I'm going to put my concern for them above my emotions and my reactions. I'm going to take my reaction to Jesus, and then I'm going to come back and respond to this person. Lastly, when you love others, your kids will see this. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 through 18, it says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Don't say everything's good whenever you're harboring hatred. Let's deal frankly and honestly with each other. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And God's saying, a lot of times we'll have this, okay, well, this is my family and this is my bunch. And so we're going to work things out over here and we're going to love each other. And it's okay. As a family, we love each other. But if it's somebody over here, this family, well, if they hurt my family, okay, well, all bets are off, buddy. Like, we're pulling out both barrels, and they're getting it right between the eyes because you don't come and do this to my family. Well, our kids see that and say, okay, so there's some people it's okay to love and some people that we can, like, treat them however we want if they cross us. Well, that's not the love of God. If we're one body, it's like, okay, well, this family, that family, my family, your family, we're all one family. And so that means whenever someone hurts me or hurts my child, I'll say, okay, Listen, it's not right what they did. Now, how are we, how are we going to love them? What do we need to do? We need to, we need to pray for them. How are we going to address this? And there are things that you can, it doesn't mean just saying, well, honey, it doesn't matter. I know they talked about you behind your back, and I know they did this, and that wasn't right, but it doesn't matter. Because then we teach our kids, well, it doesn't matter if people hurt me, and that's a nice stepping stone into an abusive relationship. But it's saying, okay, you know what? Yeah, it does matter. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we get this resolved and we love each other and we work this out. So how are we going to do that? If we have to bring people in to mediate, we need to address this and say, okay, listen, I know they hurt you. I know that this wasn't right. So first what we're going to do is we're going to pray for them because some, this isn't right. We're not living like a body. Let's pray for them. Okay, now let's figure out what we're going to do. Our kids may not be our biological kids. Whether it's kids in this church, kids out in the community, kids that you work with on a daily basis at school, with me it's in my office, we have got to point our kids to Christ every day. And that doesn't mean just quoting Acts 2.38. That means, okay, how are they going to know that you're believers because we love one another? So my love that kids or adults or whoever feels when they go into my office, it better be pointing them to Jesus because otherwise I'm doing a whole lot of work for the wrong reason. The second thing is validating them. And this doesn't mean puffing them up and, okay, you're so great and you can't do anything wrong and and you're awesome. And if anybody says otherwise, then they're just idiots and whatever else. But it is saying, hey, you know what? I just want you to know you've you've got the good sister. You can do it. Like, I know that you've been struggling, but let's just keep going because I believe in you. And never withholding a relationship because of behavior. The second thing is consistency. Love is always unconditional, but rewards and consequences are not. These are always behavioral based. Consistency models our father. He says, I'm the Lord, I change not. 
the verse that says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, that is the most important verse when we're talking about consistency in parenting because we're called to train up children in the way that they should go. And so whenever I talk to parents, I'll say, okay, you, we're not doing this where you say, okay, if this happens, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do, and then you don't do it. We, we can be one of two things. We can either be totally inconsistent, and they can do whatever they want, and that's fine. Or whenever you say, okay, if you do this, this is the reward. If you do this, this is the consequence. You got to choose one of those two because we're not doing this where you say, okay, yes, and you mean no, and no means keep asking, and then eventually I'll get worn out and say yes. It just doesn't work. That's the hardest kind of, of conditioning to get rid of. Of course, psychologists, we like to work with rats. So we do, they do these studies where a little rat will go in and it'll press a lever, and there's some times where it'll press a lever, and every time it presses it, it gets some food. And there's other times where it'll press a lever, and every time it presses it, nothing comes out. Well, it's really easy to extinguish those two types of behaviors. Eventually, the rat's pretty easily going to stop pressing the lever. You just take the food away, and it'll press it, and nothing's coming out. Okay, well, I'm done. I'm going to go do something else. Or the rat will just get tired of pressing the lever. It's like, well, this doesn't do anything, so I'm just going to keep going. But it is extremely hard whenever they will press it like once and food comes out. And then the next time it's three times. The next time it's six times. Like, hey, can I go do this? Can I do this? Can I go do this? No. Can I go do this? Okay, fine. Yes. That is the hardest kind of conditioning to get rid of because what happens is our kids learn, okay, there's sometimes I get in trouble for this and sometimes I don't. So I got a 50-50 shot. I might as well just go ahead and do it because then we'll just see what kind of parent I get today. So whether you're being, that consistency and that training means remaining connected to them, like say, okay, I love you. I'm not going to sacrifice my relationship for this, but you also need you got to act right. This is, we gotta, we've got to deal with this behavior. Sometimes this is just simple perseverance because consistency means their boundaries, which means that there are challenges that come with boundaries. You're going to have to enforce those, but there's also safety in those boundaries, and our children learn that. We can never forget in Proverbs 22, 6, that we are training. The last thing is talking about humility and repentance as parents. Repentance does not equal weakness. There were times that my parents told me, I'm sorry, listen, I, I reacted in this way and I'm sorry. And it didn't make me, because they had set that foundation of love, it didn't make me look at them any differently. I didn't say like, well, okay, they're wrong, so ha ha ha, now I can do whatever I want because they're not infallible. That meant something to me because it said, you know what? I know that I messed up. You know that I messed up. I might as well just go ahead and come out and say, hey, I'm sorry. And giving that repentance, the Lord, it says in 1 Samuel 15, 29. I'll get to it real quick. I'm trying to go quickly, y'all. Spent so much time on love, I don't have time to get to my other stuff. But in 1 Samuel 15, 29, it, it says, And also the strength of Israel will not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. And I would just say to this that we are all not the Lord, so we're going to have to be repenting a whole lot. And that means to our kids, that means to our brothers and sisters, when you do something wrong, the Lord may not have to repent, but I'm going to have to. Then say, listen, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you can give your kids a great gift when you do that. The last thing is respect. My mom used to quote uh, Deuteronomy 21 to us whenever we would start to get a little snarky with her. And she would remind us that whenever a, sons or daughters were uh, just a little 
uh, disrespectful to their parents in the Bible, they would go out and get stoned. So good for you. You're only getting a spanking or grounding because I could, if we were in the Old Testament, you would die. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, but respect where it is due is commanded. We see this played out with Saul and David. Saul was obviously not behaving in a way that he should have, but David said, okay, I will not raise my hand against the anointed one because he knew, okay, the Lord, if I honor this, the Lord is going to remember me that even though this man who's in power is not acting the way that he should, I am still going to put myself under submission to them. So God commands us to honor and value our parents. But the question is, how do we act in a way that promotes respect? Obedience is not optional. That is a command from the Lord. Okay, whether you respect me or not, you are commanded to obey those that are in authority over you. However, respect is optional. And I say that because respect is an attitude. I can obey all day long, and inside I'm like, well, I don't really well, I don't respect that person. On the outside, I may be showing obedience, but on the inside, it's like, I don't think so, buddy. Like, you're acting like a moron. I don't respect you. The way that we act promotes respect. And in James 1.19, it says, Wherefore, brethren, be every man swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. If we can turn, I do with my kids, I'll say, okay, how many ears do you have? How many eyes do you have? How many mouths do you have? Okay, well, that's because God gave you two ears so you can listen twice as much as you talk and watch twice as much as you talk. So let's try to use that. And if we can do that with our children, listen and say, okay, what's going on? Let's talk to me. We're not going to worry about whether this is right or wrong. You're probably going to get in trouble later, but just talk to me because I want to know what's going on. And if we'll listen to them, we can give them a gift. Respect goes three ways. It goes to myself. I respect myself. Because I'm created in the image of God, I know that I have worth and value, and so therefore when I say something, it needs to be respected. If I draw a boundary, that needs to be respected. It goes towards my child. Just because if they're like, well, okay, you live in my house, you live under my rules, so it doesn't matter what you think, and it doesn't matter this and this and this, you're just going to do exactly what I say. Well, there's some point of that, but that child's not going to respect you because they're like, well, why should I respect them? They don't respect me. I'll hear with kids, they'll say, why, why should I stop yelling? My parents yell at me all the time. What do they expect me to do? I'm like, well, you got a point. And it also goes to those involved with my children. To get respect, I have to give it. That means my spouse, their teachers, their Sunday school teachers, adults that are involved with them, I have got to also show that respect. And I realize we're uh, getting close to out of time, but I want to do just a quick kind of analogy. Dad, can you come up here and Mom as well? Sometimes I like get these things across, but if y'all can just stand right here and just link arms. So if I, obviously I am their child, but if they are united and they respect one another and say, okay, it doesn't matter if I think they're wrong for whatever kind of punishment or whatever they did, I'm not gonna let my kid see that. We're gonna talk about it as a parent, as parents, but we're not going to let them in on that conversation. And so when I'm like, mom, you did da 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 and my dad steps in and says, hey, no, you're not going to talk to her like that. You are going to respect her. We'll talk about issues, but you are going to show some respect. We have some things for you. That provides a protection from whatever is coming from the outside that would try to get to me 
that either whether it's attitudes, whether it's influences, different things, if my parents will stand together and say, okay, we're not going to agree all the time, but we are going to set up a boundary for our kids to protect them, that gives a line. The difference, if y'all can just spread out a little bit, the difference is, okay, if all of a sudden it becomes, I know I can tell dad, well, mom's doing this and that, and he's like, well, that's just ridiculous. Why are you doing that? All of a sudden, there's a break in that protection, and I have no protection coming in this way. That attitudes, that influences, that people, all of a sudden, I know, okay, I can work my parents against each other because they're not united and they're not connected, and I leave myself vulnerable to these attacks. If y'all can stand back. Um, Teresa and Kayla, can y'all come up here real quick? This also goes beyond our family, and this is the last thing I'll say. Um, Teresa, if you can come on this side, and then Kayla, if you just want to stand right by my dad. So whenever, let's say that I'm working in, um, I'm a child in, in a class or whatever. If, if I tell my mom, hey, uh, you know what, my teacher, she, she got on to me, and I, she said I was doing this, and I was doing that, and she didn't let me have a snack, and she did this, and, and, and she's just mean. And my mom says, well, we're going to talk to that teacher right now. We're going to go to, what are you doing to my kid? Why are you doing that? Why are you making them sit in the corner? Why didn't you give them a snack? Don't you know they're hungry? Because we didn't have a snack before we left the house. What are you doing? All of a sudden, she's created a rift right there that I know, mm-hmm, Okay, this teacher, I don't have to respect her because there's some times that my mom doesn't respect her. But if I go to my mom and I'm saying, hey, she's doing this and that, and she's like, okay, well, what did you do to get put in the corner? Let's go talk to your teacher. Hello. All of a sudden I learn, oh, okay, well, that's okay. I, I, she's going to call me out on this, so I can't really do anything. But it protects me. It provides a protection. The same way over here, I can do the same thing. But if we realize, okay, we're a body together, and we are, we're working together for the safety of our children, all of a sudden I have this line of people that not only cares about me, but they're united together and saying, hey, we're not going to let these things tear us apart because we're all trying to help each other. So we're going to be united, and we're not going to let these little squabbles get in and all of a sudden let these attacks come in here and here and here. We're going to hold together because what's, what we're protecting you from is more important than what we're mad at each other about. I know that I went a little bit over, but if we can just stand. Number one, the thing that we have got to get right is love, and these other two will follow. And let's just, I would just ask at the end of this that we just pray and say, God, help us not only to get your love, but to also get your perspective, whether it's with our kids, with our brothers and sisters, with people that are involved in our families. Thank you, God, for this day. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for every family that's here.